Raisin Man Arena. Something in the way. Ooh, yeah. Something in the way. Yeah. All right, now we're on the screen. Can you believe it? Guys, eyes up here. Uh, what's up? <laughs> what's up? <laughs> It's confusing when we don't, if we don't start at nine, you know. It's yeah. nine or seven, yeah. I have no idea. So, um, this is your fault. Yeah. Good, good morning. Good morning. This is Raisin Manorina. It's Tuesday, July 6th, 2022. Tuesday, July 6th. I have a couple friends whose birthday it is. Happy birthday. You know who you are. I thought you were going to do birthday shout-outs. Birthday shout-out to Aaron Mays. Birthday shout-out to Ami Weintraub. And then a birthday shout-out, I think, to John Obendorfer. Honestly, his birthday might have been yesterday. But, you know, if you're listening, happy birthday. Obendorfer. <laughs> That's right. There's an extra little two letters you don't need. You ever got a end. friend who you uh, add a little syllable, take a little syllable away. You never remember if it's Obendorf, Obendorfer, that kind of thing? Yes. And what's unnecessary about it is by the time you're like seven letters into the last name it's specific enough that you know what guy we're talking about so right you really you've don't whittled it down you whittled it down yeah. pretty tight at that point you know first name there's a lot of johns out there but yeah anyway yeah it's true that names are Open kind doors. of like uh, that's enough yeah uh, names are kind of like um i remember on the bus people going to school as a child Kids would invent languages between them that only they could understand. But it was always like like pig Latin or something. And it was like, do you a want to go a to the school? A? And, it was, and I could always figure out what they were saying. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, yeah, so I, I, I got her on their A little ahead of some of the other kids. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because yeah. when you said bus, I thought you were going to mention... That song, John Jingle, John the Irish, Irish Man. Yes, there was song. Sometimes we would sing songs that song? on the bus. I remember but do you know that, that specific song? Yes, because it deals with a long name. Yes, John yes. Jacob Jingle Irish, right. Irish Smith. Do you remember what it His is? His name yes. was my name right. too. And whenever we go out, the people always shout. There goes John, John Jacob Jingle, Jingle Smith. Man, Felipe was just saying we should play music before the show to get everybody hype. But we're kind of doing our, a little song within the episode yeah. to kind of get people excited. You're right. And you guys said no need for music. And now you see <laughs> we're not hype because we didn't get to listen to 15 minutes of ambient yeah. jungle before. Yeah. And, in, and instead we listened to Kurt Cobain. And so we're kind of accordingly... We're sad. My, my earliest memories of depression were of being on a bus going to school mm. and being like 30 minute. You you wake up at like six in the morning. Yep. Some God. Oh, my time, God. Yeah. And you wait for the bus to come and then you spend up sometimes 50 minutes. It felt like on a bus driving around like your gray town yes picking up other kids so waiting sad. for school <laughs> and it was like it, it was the first moments where i was like wow, well, life is truly i don't yeah. need this anymore in argentina yeah. i could leave this planet okay. <laughs> yeah in argentina they didn't have uh daylight savings time so i so truly i was you know you're driving around at night to wow school. wow that's kind of cool yeah. no that's cool though and you're and you're three you're five six seven years old you're like 
I want to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kill myself. Yeah. It's too dark in here. Um, well, usually I put a lamp right there. Do you want me to put it on? Ah, it's okay. You want to turn on that but lamp? But I just wanted to... Turn on that lamp. Make, to save my piece. It's dark in here. Um, and it smells like whatever Will made for breakfast quite yeah. intensely, I think. Do you, is that better, Sarah? Well, you That's wanna better. Turn, you want to turn on that light, Sam? But then it, I'll it's be gonna, washed out. It's going to wash see, him out. Let's see what happens when it's you turn Oh, you're out. right. It might wash you out. Yeah, that looks like ass. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you bring that up. Because I really do feel like people talk about childhood as being this like incredible carefree time they wish they could return to. And that is just not how I remember it. Me too. I just remember it as like you could almost never do anything that you wanted yes. to do. And you had to do a million things other people wanted you to do. Yes. Recently, I've been feeling a little like so overburdened by random obligations that I do wish I could just like go to the school nurse and then get my mom to pick me up and go home. You know, because when you're a kid, you really can like exit your responsibilities yes. fully and like really just be like, but I'm watching TV on the couch now and like no one can get me. And yeah, as an adult, I'm people safe. can always get you. Yeah, you're never safe. <laughs> it's true. So I miss that feeling, but I didn't feel like childhood was overall like, a carefree time, just full of like, yeah, but I was an annoying. <laughs> I agree. And I also experienced other children as awful. Mm. And, and, <laughs> Not not like allies in the mm -hmm. ex in the experience of being a human the way I was experiencing totally, it. Totally, they're always like, nah! <laughs> 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 and like watching cartoons yes. and stuff. Always being yes. a little demon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It is weird because kids are mean, and when you're a kid, you're really not equipped for someone to be mean to you. So it's a hard time. It is yeah. hard. It is hard. I can't remember, like my I don't know if I could give childhood a grade. I remember bad stuff and I remember good stuff too. Word. And That's perfect. And there's a tremendous amount of time to think about things. Yes. Oh, totally. You know, when I was, um, I do sometimes think back to when I, you ever, you know, as an adult, you battle with all of these difficult things about your personality, you know? You make people mad. People are like, why are you like that? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so like that? Why do you do that weird thing? And you go, yeah, you know, maybe I should change it. But then you think back to when you were five and you're mm -hmm. like, damn, I was doing that shit back then, too. I was doing that shit, it's too. It's like, yeah, there's no, I'm not going to change. I've been doing it since I've been five and I'm yeah. going to change it because some asshole just told me. Do you think that that makes it easier to deal with your bad <laughs> qualities to be like, this is really in me and I can't blame myself? I was doing this before I had anxiety. No, because sometimes you're like, because sometimes if you really don't like that thing that you do, you're you like, go, fuck. I really have been doing since I, that since I was five. Yeah. That's really, yeah. I've really, I said, I'm going to do that since I was five. <laughs> I'm not going to change because some asshole, my yeah. best friend is telling me to change this <laughs> toxic behavior. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. I used to, when I was little, I remember I would just like, you know, I'd be in summer camp and I, I have this memory and this is something I did a lot where I would just like, go off by myself and sit on the steps and I would like sing little songs to myself because I didn't like to be around all those kids. I guess I was the same as you guys. I didn't like to be around all the kids. Yeah. Um, and I still kind of do stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Just sit on the steps, sing little yeah. songs. Well, I was thinking I've been feeling kind of depressed this summer and I was like, oh, it sucks to feel depressed in the summer because summer is supposed to be this greatest season of the year. But then I was thinking, I've never even liked the summer. I didn't like the summer when I was a kid. Hated summer camp more than school even. Um, I hated being made to do like really fun activities all the time. Something about it just like, 
I couldn't even explain. I have to think about it. But when we would do like, especially a special camp event, I went to a camp called Kids After Hours, which they advertised on TV with these like okay. crazy commercials that were like, you're on a moon bounce all summer long. You're canoeing. You're doing color war. Like so you went stuff. you went to a TV camp. I went to a camp from TV that I saw on TV and was like, okay, it looks fun on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I'm not gonna lie. It looks fun on TV. Let's you got, go there. You got me. Yep. Me and my brother convinced my parents to send us to Kids After Hours. Um, Damn, and we had 20 viewers, now we have 12. Yeah, what, what happened? happened? But we had six, and then suddenly we had 12, so I wondered if it was... Is the conversation not lit? Yeah. Uh, well, fuck you guys. But I was going to say, I refused <laughs> to participate in, like, uh, we would do, like, a pudding war, water gun war. I wouldn't do it. I would sit out, which I didn't like that about myself. I was like, that's annoying, but I didn't want to. And the, and then counselors don't know how to handle that. No, They're like, no. what's, what's wrong yeah. with you? They like take you aside. <laughs> totally, they take you totally. to like a scary part of the camp yeah. you haven't seen before. And they're like, what's like going on? It's with behind you? a gray building. And they, <laughs> and they hit you in the face one time. Totally. Yeah. And it just seems so stressful to me that I was like, everybody's good time is resting on me doing the pudding war. Why? Why? Why can't they have fun without me? Why is it so pivotal that I do it too? I don't know. And then when I was on the movie shoot in Texas, on the first day, someone suggested that we do get to know your games and like play tag and stuff. And it like filled me with that same dread. You had post-traumatic like, stress oh disorder. Yes. And you're, I was like... You were traumatized. I was traumatized. And so I, I, that came to mind. And at first I thought, all right, just chill out. You can do it. You're an adult now. Just play the games. And then I had the second thought that was like, no, I'm an adult now. And they're not going to fucking make me do it. Like, I don't want to. I've never wanted to since I was five. And I won't do it. It's debasing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do it? No. And the games never came up. So I didn't. I didn't. Oh, that's choose. good. But if yeah. they had done them and you were in the circle, you would have had to do them. I know. They saw, they saw the numbers tattooed on Sarah's on Sarah's wrist. That's from, right. From, they saw the numbers yeah. from the summer camp. From yeah, uh, Kids, After, kids hours. After Hours. And they said, oh, we understand. You yeah. can sit out this one, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that funny? Kids After Hours. It sounds like it's like a bar for kids to hang out. Yeah, it sounds... Yeah. Um, it sounds It sounds like a camp that would get shut down by the FBI. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I once went to a summer camp for two weeks that was co-ed when I was like... I think 12 and that was also really really intense for me because it was like the first time like sort of sexual experiences were like expected or people were yeah, exploring yeah, yeah. that the counselors expected that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no the counselors are always fucking that's like a truism about american summer camps yeah since time immemoria but when you're like a for, since time immemoria mm-hmm and then once, but when you're a child and you, they have to do this thing where like, well, tonight's the big dance. Yeah. And each cabin is going to go oh in God. and we're going to do a big dance together. You're and doing it's out like condoms. insanely stress inducing. It's so stressful. Yeah. I remember in elementary school, we had our first dance in fifth grade and they specifically banned dates because they didn't want that pressure to be on kids. And also because it's just weird for 10 year olds to be on dates. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this cool dance. Uh, but people did it anyway. They can't stop. They can't stop yes. the kids. Yeah. yeah. When I, I remember when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Charlie says they took Sam aside because he didn't want to participate <laughs> in sexual experiences. <laughs> What's wrong with you? What's um, wrong, Sam? Did people uh, people grinded in in sixth grade? Yes. In, in middle school, it was like suddenly they were like, we have to, we have to, we have to supercharge the sexual nature of all of our dances. It felt almost like a mandate. Like no yeah. one's no one seemed to actually be. 
genuinely, genuinely turned on or co- even comfortable with their bodies, but they were like, well, now we're teenagers and we have to, have to grind my ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to grind my dick. <laughs> I, but it was not, conversely, I though, hated do you remember, it. I remember the first time I like made out with somebody like, I think it was seventh grade. I made out with someone and it was like that thing where you're too young to have sex. Like you're not going to have sex. So what you end up doing is you just make out for like hours. Yeah. And your mouth is like raw. raw <laughs> at the end. Yeah. And like that is also a crazy experience that never happens again. Like, yeah. can you imagine kissing someone for like two and a half hours in a basement somewhere? No. But I'll tell you this, nowadays, in hookup situations, people don't make out enough. Nowadays. You think so? Bar. I think that, as you know, as, a, as now late 20s, I think the move is to make out more than you think. I think people make out in a precursory Wait. sort of way. Hmm. hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, and I agree. People are like, oh, the make out is like... It's like I have to eat my vegetables or something. Yes. Or it's like it's like a handshake at the beginning of a meeting. Yes. And it's like, no, no, no. If you make no, it, if you're like, it. let's take our time and make it's this an event, it. it's going to make nah. a big difference. I think I'm so. like, let's get to the fingering yeah. right away. <laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> Sam, Sam doesn't even want to kiss. He wants to finger right away. And yeah. that's not the I move. Finger. No, I agree with you, Felipe. <laughs> you agree with me, right? Yeah, I feel like... Sound off in the chat if you think <laughs> we got to kiss more. Yeah. I think like... Also, because you have to vary the pacing. If you're, like, hooking up and it's always like, okay, and we do five minutes of making out and then we do five minutes of fingering and then we have sex, it's like, that's the sucks. Yeah, metronomic. Sex, yeah. Five minutes of fingering, three minutes yeah. of sex. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you set, like, a little oven timer. <laughs> Bing! Now we fuck. Bing! Um, we have Annabelle saying, my friends always made me be the caboose of the grind train. Aw. Uh, and then Julia says that she had, agrees uh, that making out is underrated. And Kay says making out is the best. And we're bumping back up to 15 views. So that's right. Let's that's keep this be, going, that's what guys. That's the people like. Because yeah. Laura's here. <laughs> what? They're talking about <laughs> sex? Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't made, like had sex with a new person in a little bit. So I, I, I don't know... I can't think of what, whether I forgot how to have sex. I forgot how to do it or like whether making out is like a really big part of the, I think the first time you're having sex with someone, every, every step is long process and you're giving it your all. And it mad- really matters. It it's matters. True. It really but if you're matters. in like a, in a many years relationship, you're not about to make out for it's true. 20 minutes? 10 minutes. It's true. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's true. That's no funny way. to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> like a married couple just You've been like dating for five out. years. Yeah. You're in front of your kids on vacation. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 it's true. Yeah. It's funny the first time you have sex with a new person and you're just like busting out every move you know. <laughs> you're busting right away. <laughs> 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 this is my most powerful move. And you bust right away. <laughs> Harris Meyerson. First time chat from Harris Meyerson. Key to keeping a long relationship alive is making out for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I That's believe true. it. I believe it. So I, I recently have developed a relationship with my grandparents where I kiss <laughs> them on you the make lips. <laughs> I kiss them on the lips for real? now. Yeah. <coughs> I, I never understood everyone, that. Everyone. I'll say this. Everyone never understood makes fun of horny horny granddads who are like a little too handsy or a little too like 
oh, she, like she's a nice piece of ass or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What but about gra- horny grandson? Grandparent, grandmoms are the exact are same way. Really? Mm-hmm. They're horny for hot little guys. Is she you horny? Know? Is your grandma horny for yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> she's horny for me. She, <laughs> she kisses me on the mouth and stuff. And she's like, oh, you're so cute, <laughs> what Sam. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's true. And then when my grandma, my other grandma, when she's drunk, she likes to kiss me on the mouth. <laughs> I'm like, Well, it uh, makes sense. You know why? Because you look like... Because you have the same DNA as the person like they married. They, they, you look like their husband when they were exactly. young. I look like wow. John. It makes uh, perfect sense, right? I look like right? my wow. grandfather, John That's Olson. Yeah. It makes no, sense. I, honestly, cause, because the power dynamics are reversed because of gender, I'm just like, you know what? Why not? Give him a little. Give him a little. Give him a little ass. <laughs> give him a little taste. It's fine. Yeah. You're old. You deserve it. You deserve to kiss me. It's true. Julia says, what do you guys think about moms who let their babies kiss them on the mouth? I follow this one mom influencer who she and her husband are both really hot and they really seem in love and they're so affectionate with each other and they have a son and he's like three, maybe four years old and I see every time they post a video of him like with a little girl that he meets at the park or something, he's always trying to like kiss her, grab her, hold on to her, hold her hand, uh, tell and her are he loves her. The, oh. Are people in the comments like, no! Yeah, people in the comments are like, no, like don't, he can't do that. And then also I just feel like I'm like, that's the problem. That's what comes from if you have parents who are like really into each other and, it's, you, and it's visible when you're a child. That shouldn't happen. They should be a Your lot colder to each other. Your parents like friends like or something. Like they don't love yeah. each other <laughs> at all. <laughs> they don't love each other at all. Um, that way you don't get all like act like that yeah i say let him cook (laughs) let the kid cook my kid's gonna grab all up over your kid all right and you're gonna let it happen yeah um (coughs) so i know that it sounds it seems like we've been we have started the podcast but i'm thinking that was just the foyer what are the topics Uh, what are the damn topics today what are the topics i saw the elvis movie (laughs) <laughs> Did you like it? <laughs> no. Uh, well, I enjoyed watching no, it. No, come but on. But it was crazy. That movie's crazy. I went to a 4th of July party. I saw Elvis, and I went to a 4th of July barbecue party, and I tried to talk to every person I knew about the Elvis movie. And I also felt... Um, sometimes I feel about doing stand-up that I like it because as long as you're not getting heckled, you're allowed to just say what you want to say without anybody interrupting you. And you can really just lay it all out and talk for like 10 minutes. Uh-huh. And that's how I wanted to be about the Elvis movie at the party. But people kept interjecting with. With what kind of thing? Just questions about Elvis's biography and things that... <laughs> so like, I how hate- big was he on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I didn't like that. I just they, to- So you were telling them about how much you hated the movie and they were like, Wait, was Elvis born in 1947? <laughs> that kind of thing? Yep. <laughs> yeah. What color was his guitar? <laughs> um, but you yeah. said a funny thing about thinking, being producer mind about it. Oh, yeah. It seemed as if the movie was so, like, uh, like action-packed. And it was insanely fast. There was a cut, like, every two and a half seconds. Like, it was unbelievably, like... Gen Z brain, like internetified, like constant. It was like Ryan Trey Carton made it. I don't know that reference. Really, Ryan Trey Carton? S- do you know Sam? <coughs> mm-hmm. Sound off in the comments if you know Ryan Trey Carton. He's just a guy who went to RISD and he's a fine art filmmaker and like a lot of cuts. 
Yeah, it was a lot of cuts. And it wasn't okay. even just like a lot of cuts within a scene. It was like they never sat in a single scene developing any conflict or anything between two characters for more than like 45 seconds before it was like, you couldn't even like track where you were in time, basically. It was like a constant montage <laughs> of moments from Elvis's life. It was so over the top. It felt like a music video. Yeah, it was really hard. Like an hour in, you were like, okay, wait, so where, where are we in the plot of the movie? Like so much has happened, but I also don't like know who any of the characters are. Like there's a bunch of guys who would follow Elvis around everywhere who were supposed to be specific people. No idea. Is that his brother? Is that his friend? You know, it was just like they didn't spend any time developing anything. Yeah, there's a, it's uh, like a, I, I feel they're like Wikipedia biopics. Yeah. It's like all of the things you can find on the Wikipedia are in the movie, but you're not, they're just, they're almost as like yes. details that you're meant Got to it. Do, pause it. the movie to like write down. Or totally. Yeah. Um, but I say all that to be like, as a person who produces things, it seemed like they had to produce like three movies to make this one movie because there were so many scenes in it and so many set pieces and the characters and stuff that uh, if I was the producer on it, I'd be like, yo, can't we just like stay on the scene in the Las Vegas casino for two more minutes rather than find three more locations and like do five more scenes? I like your impression of the, um, the manager at the casino that they keep getting back to, you said. Oh, yeah. He's like, uh, just die. I can't remember what my impression was like, but he's just dying and saying that it wasn't his fault that Elvis died. The whole thing is structured around this insane Tom Hanks performance where he does this weird, implacable accent and he's wearing like a big, um, like face prosthetic to make him look fat. And, uh, it's so distracting, the voice and the fact that this character is just like this evil man who you don't care about because you only care about Elvis. Um, it's a really bizarre movie. I do recommend that people see it. I found it really exciting to watch. You said, you said that, the, that the movie is about how he is structured on the idea that he like took, took advantage of Elvis. Yes, it's all about like the manager. From the manager's perspective, the manager is like telling his story to convince you that he didn't really lead to Elvis's death. But the whole time he's just like an evil guy who did lead to Elvis' right. death, but it's, it's, it's not even complicated. It's not even like he convinces you for a moment and then like the story twists or something. It's just, just like an evil right man away. lying to you. Well, you just said that he keeps hours. cutting to him in a casino, gambling his money away, going, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's what the transitions are. It's really crazy. Austin Butler speaking as Elvis, I loved. Perfect. No, 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 but Annabelle is saying, how do you feel about Austin Butler speaking in Elvis' voice for years after filming? Like he was like, you know what? I'm gonna rock this voice now. I think that's cool. <laughs> I played cool I played voice. Elvis. This my voice now. Yeah. Does he do that? Is that true? I didn't know that. Is Elvis the first rock star? Wow. I guess that's what yeah. they're saying. Good question. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a strange thing. Even just the idea of doing these like uh, epic biopics of the lives of musicians. You watch them and you know that they're based on a true story, but you can't really trust any given fact. Because they're allowed to just like take such liberties, and uh, a big part of the story is that like Elvis became famous because he was combining like R and B with country music, and that's like what rock and roll was born out of. And so he was like desegregating the culture. Um, but a lot of people would say that Elvis just like stole music from black R and B artists. But the way the movie tells the story is like Elvis is friends with all these people because he grew up in like a poor integrated neighborhood where mm. he was like going to black churches and hearing soul music and everyone there loved him. You know, that's what the movie is like. Yeah. And so everyone's happy for him. He's the one soulful yeah. white boy who's valid. Music. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, so you, I don't really know about 
the true story of that. It seems uh, right. It seems ideological. Valuable. Like Boz Lerman is like, no, come on. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's trying to paint him. Totally. And then also, somebody told me at the party as I was telling the Elvis story for the the seventh time um, that. Elvis was like, when he started dating his wife Priscilla, that she was 14 years old. And he, I think he was like 27 or something. Uh, uh, and in the movie, they just say, they just say she's a teenager. So that way you can be like, ah, she's maybe like 19. Sure. 18, 19. She's yeah. probably 18, 19. She's probably, yeah, one day 18, over 19. 18. Yeah. <laughs> she's got to be, uh, let me look, yeah. 18 So they're obviously intentionally, you know, smoothing over. They didn't want to get into any of that shit. Smoothing so. over the history, right? Yeah. Which is, I guess, is okay. I don't know. I mean, you're seeing this fictionalized movie. I think this about every time I see a, like a biopic style movie where it's like, well, why don't you just make up a character that's like Elvis and just make whatever movie you want to make rather than like say this guy's life was like this and it's like uh, there's a bunch of lies Yeah, bio it. biopics are kind of doomed. I remember hearing someone say that the best way to do a biopic is to constrain the amount of time you're supposed to show. Mm. Like if you're trying to show the entire someone's entire life, that's not going to make a good movie. Makes a lot of sense. Makes uh, makes sense to me. What the fuck? Oh, sorry, my computer. Like I guess this the was it like uh, there was like a Jackie the movie that um, Kristen Stewart was in, where she oh, played um, the Jackie Onassis. I hadn't seen that, but is it a short Jackie window Kennedy? of time? Yeah, or I think it's like a week. Yeah. Or even like the, the Daniel Day-Lewis, Abraham oh, Lincoln. No, she yeah. plays um, Princess Diana. Oh, who plays? No. Wait, who plays Jackie Kennedy? Uh, I think it's um, the, what's the Israeli woman? Gal Gadot? No, not Gal Gadot. Natalie Portman. Can anyone confirm or deny any of what we're saying? Fuck yeah. Gotcha. Well, anyways, my point is just that and especially if you're someone like Boz Lerman, who's like A-list director, if you're going to make the Elvis movie, it's like, well, it's got to have every single fact about Elvis ever. It's got to be an encyclopedia of Elvis. So if anyone ever turns it, if anyone's like, I want to watch the definitive Elvis movie, that's the one. But it's not going to, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like yeah. you're, you're, yes. you're saddled totally. with a responsibility that's yeah. going to ruin it your movie. It is what's fun about it, though. It's hyperactive. It's like Ready Player One. That rocks. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. It was that thrilling to watch it. It's also funny. They like uh, do... Um, like hip hop versions of like Hound Dog mixed into like really? the soundtrack to really get you to be like, see, but the music was cool though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's sick. they just do remixes of the songs. Yeah, which is wait just for real. Cool. Yeah, which they, that's crazy. Which is so funny. Yeah, that had, is crazy. They would be playing the regular song and then suddenly it would remix. Wait, I read, playing. I read that there's a scene that Doja Cat is playing. Oh really? That, like I Elvis is walking around and Doja Cat is playing. Hello, Doja Cat. That's, funny. <laughs> That's very funny. Man, I want to use this as an opportunity. This is kind of self-indulgent. But just to say definitively to our listeners, I think I honestly have like some facial blindness. And I do not remember what people's faces look like. I know I've seen Doja Cat before, but I would never have recognized her in that movie. No, 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 no. But it's, it's playing. She's not in the movie. Oh, it's playing. Okay, yeah, yeah, word. Yeah. Well, it's still but no, true. But I, lo- I kind of... I think the same thing about myself. You think the same thing? That, like, I, like, forget people's faces all the time. Actors' 1, faces. thousand percent. Maybe that's normal, though. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I think the the key to making a good biopic is identifying the right, like, POV for the person into the person's life. Like, for instance, with the Serena, Willi- Serena and Venus Williams movie, they chose to make the movie about the dad instead of about Serena and Venus. So was that a was that a successful choice? I thought it was interesting because I was like, 
oh, it's actually not interesting to make a movie about children who are prodigies because children are boring and they don't have they don't have interesting mm. eternal lives. And actually, the like the struggle story, the interesting like battle and change that happens in the person's life is not with the children, but with the father who's trying to get these kids famous. Mm. And I don't know. I, I think that's a kind of another key to unlocking a biopic is like, maybe it's not the person who you want to make the movie about. It's like a person near them in their sphere of orbit that like is actually the best, like, holder of the narrative of this person's life. Yeah. Well, I think that's what they're going for with the Elvis thing. They structure it all around this Tom Hanks character because they're like, well, you know, Elvis, he's a famous guy who was really successful and that ruined his life. Um, but then they decide to make it about this evil guy. But in this case, they fail to do what you're saying because this guy is of not really of any interest. He's really two-dimensional. They don't figure out, like, what... Um, was like driving him to kind of like take advantage of this young person. Um, and you just end up spending so much time with this Tom Hanks character and you're like, I just want to see Elvis like do the shows and like with his wife and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So in this case wife. it was yeah. a mistake. Yeah. It was a big mistake. I think. Well, you know how I always, I was actually thinking about something else, which is uh, Robert Caro who wrote the power broker and um, path or the Lyndon Johnson books. And it's like, if I was just walking around the street and someone said, hey, you know, one of the most epic history books is written about Robert Moses, I'd be like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. You'd think that the most epic book would be about... George Washington. George Washington. Abraham Lincoln. JFK. Who else? The Power the, Rangers. The big... T-Rex <laughs> from Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's right. Park. Exactly. Yeah. How are you going to write about Lyndon Johnson, who, like, yeah. kind of by accident... Became the president? Became president, yeah. low-key. Five five books that are as fat as all of the Lord of the Rings books combined. Yeah, no you know, way. It seems crazy. He, but, he's, but he's trying to be a hipster. He's like, oh, you like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln? I'm going to tell you about Lyndon B. Johnson. I'm going to make the case that he's the most important guy. I'm going to yes. tell you about Robert Moses. I'm going to make the case he's the most important guy. And it's right. like, no, you should talk about, um, I don't know, Obama. No, it's Why great. didn't he write about Obama? Yeah. <laughs> he's 1972. <laughs> I'm going to write about Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's cool. You paint yourself into a corner by picking a boring ass person or a person everyone thinks there's no story behind. And then your sort of piece de resistance is that you reveal how interesting they are. Yeah. And, and as the person, it's kind of a double bind. Cause imagine I told you, Hey Sam, one of the most epic history books about comedy going to be written about you. And then you're going to be like, you know what? That means that I was a piece of shit. <laughs> that means that I was a nobody. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But yeah. if I told you, if I told you, fifty shitty books are going to be written about you, like millions of shitty books that are going to be at the front of the Barnes and Noble every day, you're going to be like, that means I was cool. That's true. That means I got my bag. And all the books are going to be bad. Yeah. So it just depends on what you want. Yeah, there are two different visions of success. <laughs> okay, so we roasted the Elvis movie. It gets zero out of five stars. And then I saw uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair. Well, oh, wait, we saw it too. When? Last night? Wait, we saw it, right, Sam? No. No, I saw it with Will. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell <laughs> so me yeah. and Sarah both saw it. Yeah, and you can see it. You can be quiet. You stupid idiot. Well, I'll be quiet. bring my, you can classic, ask questions. my classic curiosity to this. Have you ever seen the, have you seen the trailer? No. Do we want to watch the trailer on let's the screen? Let's show the trailer. Sh roll the trailer. Wait, let's see. 
This is a movie by, I like to say her name is Jane Showburn, but I feel like it's actually like Showbrun, maybe. I'm not sure. I had more to say about kissing experiences as a teenager. I had more to say about facial blindness. And I'll use that. Can I say my thing? Sure, sure, sure. So we're not watching this trailer? No, we are, but you're pulling it up. I mean, it's, uh, it's pulled up. Okay, well, you have to communicate that, or we don't know. Well, it's yeah, been we don't pulled up. We're not driving this patient. You know? <laughs> we're over right. here. Well, just trying to fill the time. Something we're in the back making lunches the for the crew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> making PB&Js for everybody. <coughs> so we're watching the trailer for We're All Going to the World. This is kind of old news. You know, it came out a little bit ago. But, but Alex G did the soundtrack. Yeah, and we're not really in the business of, like, super topical conversation. No, that's not. No. Hey guys, Casey here. Welcome to my channel. Today I'm going to be taking the world's first challenge. So, you want to join the internet's scariest online horror game? You can't be held responsible for what you become. All you have to do to get started is take the challenge. I don't know what to expect. I want to go to the World's Fair. I want to go to the World's Fair. I want to go to the World's Fair. Laura says that she had uh, the director of this Jane movie on, on her, her podcast. podcast. Pretty cool. As I'm watching myself on a TV all the way across the room. They're getting closer. I think I'm turning into something terrible. I'm inside the video through the computer. It's gotten worse. I need to figure out what's going on. Pretty crazy, right? Pretty creepy. So that's that. So that's that. Indie movie um, by Jane. Is I mean, seeing the trailer, it's funny because it's not. It's a. It's kind of marketed as a horror movie, but it's not a horror movie. Not really. There's some moments where you think something scary is gonna happen, or there's a couple like there's like a lot of eerie moments in it. There are some eerie moments, yeah, but it it's seems not like, like a, a thinker. It seems like it's gonna be about adolescence and about being on the internet okay you just unlocked it <laughs> yep you didn't even yeah, have to watch it you already unlocked it, it. that, already that movie's like friends. running away from me it's like 300 yards mm-hmm. out and yeah. i just took out a pistol one shot yeah in the back yeah well i bring it up because um you know the elvis movie is like a hyperactive internet movie even though in elvis's time internet had not even been invented but it, they, the aesthetics of that movie are the aesthetics of, like, TikTok. It's, like, so uh-huh. yeah, high octane. Conversely. Conversely, this movie, about the internet, yeah. camera's sitting still on the tripod for five minutes and at s- a time. And sometimes you're watching it, you're like, hey, I could use a different angle on this. <laughs> I could use a they different angle you. They're on like, no, shot. there's more information in the screen. Yeah. Keep looking. Look in that back corner. 
They're like, what if you what if you watched a little girl perform uninterrupted for close to ten minutes? Yes. And you go, well, let's see if that's good. And <laughs> I would say it's pretty good. Yeah, I liked the movie a lot. It wasn't what I thought because I thought people had said it, it's about the experience of being on the internet. So I was like, oh, so it's gonna be hyperactive and it's gonna be surreal and intense. And it's intense, but it's more like the experience of being on the internet as a teenager where you like see the internet and you know that like so insane stuff goes on there but like really you just have a boring life and you tra- are wanting to do things on YouTube yeah. and that is not an exciting life it's like you know a lot of the girl just like in her room kind of like fuck what, what video am I going to make on YouTube um, but it's a good like emotional exploration of like what happens to her like we can't really say much about it because it kind of has a like a lot is revealed in sort of the last like 15 minutes so yeah but it but i think it's true that like this scary stuff that happens is um it's kind of easy to see through like it's not actually that scary and i mm. thought that that was what was strong about the movie which is that when you're in front of your computer mm. like at night you kind of freak yourself out with stuff that's kind of stupid totally or it's like your relationship with the screen and in this movie the scary moments they're just things it's you know images that have been photoshopped or like they're, they're yeah. just youtube videos that people have made and you really get that sense of like oh there's nothing paranormal going on here these are people creating horror films for each other yeah yeah, um, yeah. i guess i'm sort of giving it away but like kind of giving it away but uh but they're not that scary and i think that's the more powerful truth is that it's really about the relational like you totally commute like being part of this creative community of people totally. making horror films for each other yeah but i also i loved it wow th- this is funny i knew i was gonna make that point about how it's the opposite of the elvis movie but it's also the opposite in the sense that i thought i would never want to produce a movie like the elvis movie and watching this i was like what a brilliant low budget production there's like one location there's like two characters yes. on screen the ent- entire time yeah, everything is on the internet so they have videos where you see other people. So they in got it, some. They got some other actors. There's a couple other actors, but really not a lot. They put scabs on that guy, and then they made that guy run on a treadmill and hit himself. That in was the Theo face. Anthony. Is there, that's uh, all those Baltimore people, I guess. Know Wait, each the other. guy who's running on the treadmill is Theo yeah, Anthony. Yeah, that's it's the guy credits. from uh, All Light Everywhere. Yeah, All Light Everywhere guy. Yeah. So I guess they're all buddies. Really? If you live in Baltimore, you get to be friends with. I didn't know he was from people. Baltimore. Yeah, I think now he lives in a different place. But uh, why wasn't Alan Resnick on it? And Dan <laughs> Deacon. Yeah. Um... But it just was brilliant. It was mostly happens in like a bedroom and around outside and like the girl kind of walks around the cemetery and like it just seemed so perfect for I don't know how much money they made the movie for. But I was like, this is like, I don't know. It made me kind of psyched about you can just design projects that are low budget that the framework of it, the fact that it's a low budget can be a creative part of the movie. It's true. But that little girl, we carried the movie on her back. Totally. If she hadn't been a good actor. I Uh, mean, she's she's pretty good, I'd say. She's pretty good. And I just like what her her face looks like. It was like, yeah, nice watching her. Totally. She's like big ass eyes. Well, it's funny too, because um, there's this like double performance. A lot of the movie is filmed sort of from the point of view of her camera as she films videos. And... Mm. Sometimes she'll be filming a video and then click stop on the record, but you still see her through the lens of the yeah, computer. Yeah, so yeah. then suddenly her eyes kind of like shut down and she's just like looking at the computer screen kind of in that pacified way. And there's a funny way where like her performance for the camera is sort of, she's self-consciously doing like a horror performance. Yeah. So there's that, f- like the actor is performing a little girl doing a horror performance for YouTube. Yeah. Mm. Do, and good. does she use an iPhone ever? 
I don't think she, so. Uh, when she goes into the woods, doesn't she bring her iPhone out or something? I guess we don't see it because we only ever see like her recording. So what's your point with that question, Sam? Uh, <laughs> you just want to know if yeah. she also uses an iPhone? I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm just asking questions the audience <laughs> might have about <laughs> Yeah, about the show. We don't have to go on and on. I'll say there's one other Does cool shot <laughs> that Alex pointed out to me that was like they're sitting. It's like her webcam <laughs> is filming her in the bed, and so you know it's just like that's what it is. And so it's a still shot for like five minutes while she like gets in the bed, and she just like she doesn't want to go to sleep. And then the camera just gets up and follows her. Oh, I forgot. Walking, I didn't. Following I mean, her. that scene is great, but I don't didn't remember that detail of like it's a continuous shot. Yeah, right. and it goes from being like okay, that's the webcam camera to like no, that's just the camera. That's cool. Yeah, so that scene very, is great yeah can i say what it is yes because it is she can't sleep um because she's freaked herself out watching too many videos and she walks to the garage and she puts on this huge video on the screen that's of a girl like being like go to sleep like an asmr and it's clear that it's like a friend of hers or something because it says her name i think or maybe it might even be her on the screen. I thought it was just a random video. You might be right. It's like she puts on this ASMR video and it like she projects it on the screen so the lights are like reflecting back on her and you don't really see the video. You just see her like try to sleep on the couch in the garage to this video. And then the video ends and there's an autoplay so the next video begins and it's a scary video. Um, And it's a video that someone online has made for her because she clearly has a friendship with another YouTuber. And then suddenly on the screen is a picture of her that's been photoshopped. So her eyes are like black and her mouth is like black and opened. Yeah. Um, And it's freaky. Yeah. It's a great scene. It's like one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And does does she have good Wi-Fi in the house? I think she must. I think she must. (laughs) And I don't think she has any siblings. She has a dad, and you only hear him from downstairs. I was like, when are we going to see this dad? (laughs) You do not see the dad. Because it's low budget, we can't see the dad. can't afford to get the dad on screen. Just got him on a video They got the dad on the cheap. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. they just ADR'd him. The dad comes up, and it's Dan Deacon. (laughs) (laughs) They went to freesounds.com, and they found one clip of someone going, Hey! Hey, come up! Yeah. (laughs) Stop Um, making freaky movies. And then, in my personal life story, uh, a week ago... I at Life World, Graham. Also, Laura's saying, "How trans you gotta be to come up with this?" Now, see, I don't. That's not the perspective I have. So I, I can't. Deco- I didn't see that movie and think there's something trans going on here. But Laura's saying something. Tra- that's what that movie. Is. Big trans energy. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. She's gonna have to come on to explain why that is. <laughs> yeah, totally. It also makes me want to hear Laura's episode with Jane because I've heard that she's like got all this work that's gonna come out soon. And really? I like what else has like she made? Has she made anything else I've seen? I don't know. I looked at her IMDb, but I didn't recognize any of the other stuff. So I feel like this is her first big movie, and now she's got this A24 movie. <laughs> what? On. Yep. A24 movie. Has the trailer come out? The trailer hasn't come out because a week ago at Life World, me, Gray Mason, and Albert Bernie were filming little commercials that will be in that movie. Like the, just the tiny so little So the movie piece of that hasn't movie. even been totally edited because no. little commercials are still being filmed. In that movie, there will be a TV, and on that TV, little commercials that, are that are in Life World. That are at Life so World. So it's like a, a person's <laughs> gonna be watching TV, and then uh, like the the gray, the black walled Life With World the red set will come out. Yeah. Who's Jane? I'm so behind. Jane's the director of We're All Going to the World's Fair. Oh, okay. Yes. And, and we know her? You no, know her? I don't Sam, know her. You need a cup of coffee, yeah, you, Sam. Dude, I've been drinking my Wait, coffee. Wait, actually, I'm going to get more coffee. You said there's coffee for me, Sam? Yeah, uh, in my French press. You just have to find it. No! <laughs> it's right here. 
<laughs> oh, there it is. Let me just go get a cup. Um, but I just think that'll be funny because it's such a tiny, tiny part of what will probably be this cool movie that's coming out in several years. And um, I will fully forget that that happened and then the movie will come out and it'll be kind of exciting. That is really exciting. Will your face <laughs> be in, in any of them? Nope. Matt Bratz is, will be in it. Wait, I hope I'm allowed to say all this. Um, I have no idea. I don't know anything about the movie. I just know about the tiny commercials that are within the movie. <laughs> They're funny. What? Yeah. So, so. I can't, you can't hear me. <laughs> she wasn't there, you know. I'll do you. Yeah. What? So if she filmed this and it's funny, how could she make a funny movie? I know. I know. We had fun doing the little commercials. It was so lo-fi. And Matt Baratz was there? And Matt Baratz, he was being funny. What? He was making jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I got a tattoo. Oh, yeah. My first tattoo in my life. <coughs> How did you pick it? Uh, this artist that I like on Instagram said I'm giving out tattoos for free for practice. And uh, he had a flash sheet. And I picked one that I liked. It's like of a little son. And he's walking. And he has evil eyes. And I liked it because it is contained within a circle. So it has a kind of emblematic thing. And it has a character. So it has a kind of anthropomorphic thing. He had like... uh, He had inanimate objects like candles and stuff like that. I was like, no, I like a little character. I can't project onto a candle. That's right. Personality and little opinions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his eyes are mean. And so I like that he was a little evil. I was like, I need something evil on my body. to, Mm. You know, that's kind of the energy I feel. So... We don't have to keep talking about it if well, it's not. No, how was the experience? When I saw last saw Felipe, he was about to go get the tattoo, and he was afraid that after he got it, he would have an anxiety attack. Yeah, that was my fear. Yeah, that he suddenly had this since his first tattoo. But how that you no, got it? It hurt a little bit. It hurt a little bit. And I was really happy actually. I and was like, I can't believe it. I have euphoric. a tattoo. I'm a tattoo guy now. Hell yeah! Like I got a tattoo on my Hell body. Yeah. It made me feel really happy. Or more on the way. Maybe I don't know. I gotta think about it. They're expensive, and uh, I just gotta find. I mean, I'd like to. Yeah, I'd like to have more tattoos. You just gotta find the right symbols and signifiers, mm-hmm. like an like an eagle. Mm-hmm. An eagle. It's and its wings are spread wide, mm-hmm. and beneath it is a is a in an ancient Buddhist symbol. Yeah, that's actually kind of an interesting <laughs> set of symbols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the Bruins logo. Cool. And the Bruins logo. Is that man allowed to get, or the, I don't know the gender of the person it's he gave that to. It was a man. Um, are they allowed to? Remember me, I think is his Instagram handle. What's the Instagram? Devin. Devin. Well, his name is Devin, and his Instagram handle is remember me. Remember me. So it's like, it begins like remember, then it turns into burger, and then me. Remember me. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. He's a great artist. And he gave Edie a tattoo also. Mm-hmm. But he's friends with Eliza from um, Alabama. Oh, cool. I mean, that's not the reason that he gave Edie the tattoo. The reason is probably that Edie likes his drawings, but it just so happens that he's Eliza's friend from Alabama. That clears that up. Mm-hmm. Um, was he allowed to give that tattoo to anybody else, or is it only your tattoo? I think now? he is allowed to give it to somebody else. Huh. Yeah, I don't think he... He's constrained now. <laughs> it's not like he has to cross it out of the flash sheet. Yeah. Yeah. But from what I saw on his Instagram, no one else had gotten this particular tattoo. That's cool. So, so? I hope I'm the first guy to have the little evil eye, the evil sun guy. Can I say my thing about auteurs now? Yes. Okay. So last night I was reading this book called Adventures in the Screen Trade. Okay. 
And it's a book that Ian Faria gave me for my birthday a couple years ago. And it's actually really good. Okay. Um, but there's this chapter in it called about auteurs. And it goes, I'll read a, a couple sections from it. He goes, the theory, the auteur theory came out of France, where a bunch of young, then would-be directors, Truffaut, Jean-Luc Godard, etc., promulgated the notion that the director was the author of the film. Andrew Serres of The Village Voice is the leading spokesman for the auteurist view in America. Maybe it's true in other places. Maybe Truffaut designs his own sets and possibly Fellini operates his own camera, blah, 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 blah. But I do know this. It sure as shit isn't true in Hollywood. I've never met another fellow technician, not a single cinematographer or a producer or an editor who believes it. I haven't even met a director who believes it. Look at it logically. Studio executives are not stupid, and they are, believe it or not, aware of costs. If the director creates the film, why does a studio pay $3,000 a week for a top editor, or $4,000 for equivalent mm -hmm. production designer, or $10,000 plus and a percentage of the profits for the finest cinematographer? It's not because they're cute. And it's not because they want to. They have to. Because that's how critical top technicians are. Crucial and creative. And this is the final paragraph I'll read. One example now. Not because it's famous, but because it's absolutely typical. This is the way things are. Peter Be Beckley reads an article in a newspaper about a fisherman who captures a 4,500-pound 4, shark off the coast of Long Island. And he thinks, what if the shark became territorial? What if it wouldn't go away? And eventually he writes a novel on that notion. And Zanuck Brown buys the movie rights. And Beckley and Carl Gottlieb write the screenplay. And Bill Butler is hired to shoot the movie. And Joseph Alvarez Jr. designs it. And Verna Fields is brought in to edit it. And maybe most importantly of all, Bob Matley is brought out of retirement to make the monster. Man, all the big guys are there. And John Williams wow. composes perhaps his most memorable wow. score. How in the world is Steven Spielberg the author of that? Why is it often referred today as Steven Spielberg's Jaws? So what why? do you think so about why? that? why is it? Why is it? Yeah. Well, I think it's... in our culture, we like geniuses. Yes. Yeah. And we like to be able to attribute things to individuals. I think it's... I think... Well, he goes on to describe that it's, it's easy for shorthand... You know, because you can't you can't say all the people who make the movie when you mention the movie. Yeah. Um, and also, directors are one of the people that go on tour to like talk about the movie, so they're yeah. like also like a PR person along with the cast. Yeah. Um, but that the idea of authorship for most movies is like degrading to like all the people that work on it, because there's no there's not really an author of a movie. Yeah. I always thought when I was a kid, it was confusing to me the idea of the directors as being so important when I'm like, but isn't the person that writes the script the most important? And sometimes it's the same person, but a lot of times it's not. And a lot of screenwriters are not famous or like they're not household names like directors are. And I just always thought that was confusing. Well, Julia said something interesting was that in Germany, this is actually about theater, but she, I think she said that, oh, I wish I could remember, but I think she was like, in America, the writers are thought of as the sort of creators of theater, but mm. in Germany, it's all about directors. Mm. And that's, but as simply like as a branding or a sort of ideological yeah. position. 
Um, right, playwrights are big in the United States. I yeah. can think of the names of them and not of the people that direct their plays. Right. Yeah, but not so for movies. But I also think auteur theory is born out as like a, a reaction to like an overly corporatized filmmaking mm. model where mm-hmm. there where there is like no not no consideration of an artist's vision whereas I, my sense is that when auteur theory is born in France there's it's a thing of like oh maybe we could think of these I mean I think it's true that in a sort of uh, practical way like no not one person makes any th- any one film but um but in a kind of provisional way, you can be like, well, what if we imagine that there is a person whose vision is leading all of those other right. people yeah. and 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 depart kind of imperfectly from that premise so that films can be, can have like a sense of artistic ambition as opposed to, um, I don't know, feeling like they're made, uh, I don't know. Totally. No, I, I think that's true. And also he quotes Jean-Luc Gugard saying like in a later interview in the 70s that they essentially made up the idea of the auteur basically to get to, to, for like self-promotion, essentially. Mm. Do you think, okay, Wes Anderson, he's like, all right, everything's going to be symmetrical. And then the, the set designer's like, no, you know, I kind of want something to be a little asymmetrical. Who wins out? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think he wins. Uh, probably Wes so Anderson wins. Like, and he's like, chains of command. And he's yeah. like, all the acting's going to be kind of like low key, and everyone's going to be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> and talk quickly. And then, yeah. you know, Timothy Chalamet's like, you know, that's not how I act best. I want to talk slow and uh, have a lot of personality. Yeah, who wins out? <laughs> Wes Anderson wins out. Mm-hmm. So that book is wrong. There is someone, like, yeah, since movie sets, it's funny that. I feel like we all come from a kind of a DIY filmmaking world where we you use the names of the jobs the same way that real movies use them, but you don't really like right. uh, understand <laughs> or right. like they what do. they do. <laughs> yeah. um, and then on real sets, it's like really strict chains of command of like the grip reports to the gaffer and this is the G&E department and the line producer is under the producers and then sub to mm-hmm. that is the associate producer, like all this like chains. The, and The it, PB&J department. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one department I'm interested yeah. in. Wait, sorry, go on. Totally. I interrupted no, totally, totally. I'm PB&J sorry, no, come on, you no. finish your point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just that uh, there is a structure to filmmaking that puts the director responsible for all the creative decisions ultimately. Right. Yeah, so... It all rests on their shoulders. Well, converse- but they don't do all the work or like, yeah. yeah. Conversely, conversely uh, on Marvel films, which are completely made by committee. In fact, they're made even before uh, any actors step on stage because they're pre-visualized. They're made by animation studios before they've even begun to be directed. So yeah. the director names are huge branding tools. So you bring on a director and it's like, this director brought their vision to the film. And so there's almost like... Uh, Obviously, uh, I don't know if anyone thinks there's any authorship happening, but but there's directors get talked about as if they had brought their particular kind of whatever to these Marvel films. Yeah, when in yeah, fact yeah. they have like it's almost zero control yeah. of what the film is. Yeah, they're like um, Sandy and Patrick riding on the Alaskan bullworm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on it with the little ropes on. As for Sandy, yeah. no, as <laughs> for save our skins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, conversely, though, I, I don't find particularly that, like, the idea that a movie could be made by, like, a single artistic vision to be, like, a happy, interesting alternative to, like, a committee model or, like, better than right. a corporate model. Like, in fact, it's, like, anti-democratic, what's being described. I mean, I find, and, I, except there's, on the other hand, there there is, like, 
for people like us in our world, there's this sort of flexing, right? Or this sort of like ideological position that people are like, I don't like the idea of the genius. I don't like the idea of the auteur because that means that one person control and actually it's made but you know it's like it's actually communitarian and democratic and i i think sometimes the like putting on an ideological framework to like the creation of an artwork i see i kind of i kind of don't totally agree with that right do you see what i'm saying well you haven't really arrived at the point or i see why you're like characterizing <coughs> my point is just that like i think there is value in artworks I understand the what person. the critique of the sort of genius theory is or whatever, but it's like, I think there is aesthetic value in an artwork being driven by a person's vision. And I think actually in America, in American film, <coughs> what we maybe have a surfeit of is films that are created in a corporate model and that are, vo you know, void of vision and of experimentation. And so that this, this like ideological position taken against the sort of genius one, it's like, I hate the director that's like the genius when in fact everybody's contributing and shouldn't we want like a communist world where everyone blah, blah, blah. And so films should be exactly like that. And I'm like, well, I actually think in our horrible capitalist world, films are sort of made by committee. Um, and in the most like rapacious capitalist filmmaking model, like f films have no tours. And I think that it's not as easily you can't be like well film made by committee equals democratic and communist and film made by auteur equals fascist and what you know what i'm saying like i don't yeah, think that that, right. that no, ideological framework i agree or, i just think that even films that are claimed to be made by auteurs also are like have a democratic process where decision making is actually distributed between a bunch of different creators mm -hmm. and that the idea that there's like a single genius and a single artistic vision making a movie even in an auteur sense is eliding and obfuscating the reality of how films are made i think that's true i wonder if there's like an alternative to a tour theory which is almost like studio theory of like mm -hmm. i know for instance this is true about like animation studios in like the 30s and 40s where it's like you think of a studio and the different directors who work there and the different animators and you revere them as like a unit it's like oh all these people working together mm. or when you think about like fifth floor pictures correct they're like <laughs> fifth floor pictures a big studio a big collective or you yeah. think about like adult swim in the early 2000s and it's like it's not one person it's like a bunch of people working together so you can have kind of a medium in there where it's like there's still experimentation there's still vision but it's not about one single person it's about a group of people that were allowed to like hone their craft or even i mean as an animator like cartoon network in the 2010s and it's like it's a lot of different people but they had a really a model that like encouraged creativity yeah totally yeah i like that that to me sits right with my politics and worldview yeah yeah i think it's funny people are always like in my world referencing like Marvel movies as a way to be like, you know, this isn't a Marvel movie. We don't have a billion dollar budget. <laughs> we can't pay people more than $10 an hour. <laughs> um, and I was like in the theater to watch Elvis and a tr the trailer for the next Thor movie came on and I thought, I guess I would like to try working on something like that where it's like, this is a Marvel movie. We do have a billion dollars. We're getting to everything. Like every, we can afford every expense, full cost. Like, do they really have an attitude like that? Or are they also like, I don't know. We need to cut lunches down to $9 a <laughs> day. <laughs> no, ve no vegan option. No, no third vegan meal. Put that chicken leg back, yeah. back on. Back I, on I wonder if those movies, yeah. they have such giant budgets or almost like they have budgets that are equivalent to like 
the entire GDP of like a, of like a Soviet satellite and that they have just as much corruption, you know, yes, like people yes, are skimming yes, off yes, the top yes. and like even there's like an economy within the, the film shoot of like people getting bribed and yeah. shit like that. <laughs> I, I really don't know. True. I have no sense of dealing with like on that scale of money. Well, but. it's, it's funny. He also has this, a chapter in about, about meetings and he was like a studio at any one time has like, 130 projects like going and of those 130 projects maybe 10 of them will actually get made but then the rest of the 130 just serve so that like executives and producers like can can have meetings (laughs) about it and justify their salary yeah Yeah. it's funny whoa um it's like simple tone what you're saying also makes me think of uh i can't remember what movie it was in regard to but like i read in some article that philip glass was asked to put together the uh composition for some movie and he was like are they sure the movie's good enough because the soundtrack is going to be unbelievably good. And that if the rocks. movie's not good enough, it's just going to wash the whole thing away wow. like with how epic the music is, and they won't be able to withstand it. And I thought that was cool. And I think it's a funny thing about music, that music licensing is so impossible because it's so fucking expensive, but it is like you're taking somebody else's like perfect work of art that stands totally alone and just like subsuming it into the monster of your movie because you want this one song to play. And they are like, well, okay, well, that'll be a million dollars. Like they really can charge so much money because music is so beautiful and amazing. It's and like, like this music was a movie. Yeah, you're putting a little movie inside <laughs> yeah, of your you're movie. Yeah, you put my movie in your movie. Yeah, I already made this perfect, and I don't need your movie because it's music. Has yeah. there ever been some sort of experimental film where like someone's watching, someone turns on a TV, and then a whole other movie plays, and then basically the the work is like buying the licensing rights to show that other movie inside yeah. of the TV? Mystery Science Theater style. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Comment in the chat if you know the answer <laughs> to that question. Yeah. But I like what you're saying. I think it's fun working on a, a project where, like, all the departments, people actually feel, like, empowered to be, like, I'm making creative choices. And I've been on sets where, like, the department heads, like, the wardrobe or production design of these different things feel like the director's being so controlling that they're like i don't really want to put my name on the movie you know or like why is my name on this i this credit means something to me as like i designed this so if you take away everything about what makes it my design just to make me sort of like a tool to implement your design then that's not really yeah me being the production designer yeah so yeah and he also mentions how like the like certain types of movies have other types of authors that don't exist in other movies. Like he was like, oh, in The Exorcist, the makeup designer like makes that movie with yeah, like how yeah. he makes that girl look. Yes. And he's yeah. like, that is a crucial part of that movie. That yeah. makes that movie sick. Yeah. And a makeup designer may not matter in other types of movies or like a special effects person yeah. can be the author of a film because they like make or break whether it's going to yeah. be sick or not. I remember watching this 60 Minutes. Was it, is Ron Howard, he's a director? Or is he? Yeah. I can't remember. It was, a, uh, with a produ- it was an interview with a like big famous producer and it might have been him I can't remember, but it was a producer and he was basically describing the process of, it was whoever produced the movie, I think, um, oh, it's with Sean Connery and they're in a, and they're in a submarine. Um, uh, Hunt for a Red October. For, I think a it thousand was. Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Correct. Um, <laughs> Hunt for Red October. I think it was the producer of that and he was like, he was like describing the process of creating it and he was like, yeah, you know, I wanted a movie in a submarine <laughs> and so i got a writer cool. and i got a director together and i was like well this is kind of what i'm imagining it's like a movie in a submarine and like wow messages. and that, that was another way that i had never thought of that you could create a movie it's like you kind of come up with a subject 
kind of a general thing and then you get people to make it yeah and then you're the producer that's funny you're like this is what people want people want submarine movies you get the people who are gonna make it for you yeah and you kind of lead them through the process yeah it's funny also that they just with editors a lot of times you just hand over the footage to the editor and you're like you know you take a crack at it we'll see how it looks and we'll give you some notes the way you learn to edit in school is you sit next to the person editing it your partner on the school project and every click that you make you both decide together yeah Um, (laughs) but in the adult world the editors just get to do it and then you get to be like i don't like it yeah so yeah well there it is a tour theory destroyed yeah destroyed we went through the full dialectic pro tour theory anti-tour theory and then new synthesis yeah <laughs> yeah hmm. huh yeah my tummy hurts oh from what uh drinking too much coffee without eating anything damn. uh damn yeah you gotta eat something another classic problem yeah, I sent you guys this article that I thought was funny, but I already described it to you what was a, the article? in great detail. The New York Times one. Describe it to me. Okay, I'll, I'll describe it to you. Um, I there, didn't read it. There was a New York Times article that just came out uh, called um, Miss Gold is Proud of Her Cancelled Princeton Professor Husband or something is the headline. And it was like a profile. The article is like about a dinner party being held by this uh, Princeton professor who was like removed from his position in the last couple of years and uh, his wife. The professor's like 52. His wife's 27. They started dating as soon as she graduated from Princeton, you know, so that's kind of the vibe. And uh, he got canceled, uh, you know, culturally on campus for writing some kind of open letter that was kind of like anti-political correctness where he characterized like their Black Student Justice League as being... Um, like a minor terrorist organization or something. And so the student body was obviously against him after that. You're not going to want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> You're <laughs> no not going to want to do that. Um, which is just, yeah, totally fucked. And also something that you'd think that he'd be able to anticipate the blowback from saying something Right. Like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 How do you think it's that pretty, was going to go? Yeah. But that wasn't why he got removed from his professorship. He was like a tenured professor. He got fired because he had been um, sexually involved with like a former student. And they had investigated it a couple of years ago, but they had cleared him. And then right around the time of this other incident, I guess, they reopened that investigation. They're like, never mind. And that was like, bad. Actually, that was bad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he got fired. And in the wake of that, he was also dating someone who was, had just been a student. So um, literally, he was, an a se- he was on his second student girlfriend. He was on his second this student. This guy's though. mask yeah. off. Totally. He's yeah. living his life yes. mask yeah. off. But he was <laughs> He's like, I'm tenured. I'm going <laughs> to wild out. <laughs> yeah. So his, his professor Katz, I think his name is Josh Katz. And um, he's a classics professor. But he was also liberal. And he was really well liked by the students as being like a chill, liberal classics professor. Um, he was chill? He was chill. They said Damn, he was chill. This guy was chill and they fired him? Yeah. The most important thing you can be. Yeah, and the article doesn't take a strong stance on anything. It's really kind of hard to understand why why they even wrote it exactly. I guess it's kind of like a slice of life human interest thing. But at a certain point, it seems like it's like some weird 1950s, just like, don't we all want to know what's going on in the ivory tower? Like a night at dinner with this professor and his beautiful wife. That's like kind of the energy. But then it's also a little like, oh, but isn't this also sort of a strange story? And it characterizes the wife a little as like, she was a conservative student on campus and she ran this thing called like the Open Open Campus Coalition that was like a anti-PC culture organization that people reviled. Um, that started up, like, I think in the wake of, you know, they took uh, Woodrow Wilson's name off their school public policy, and uh, the open student 
coalition. What, what university was this? Uh, this is Princeton. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were against shit, stuff like that. Um, so she was conservative. And they, the article kind of supposes that when they started dating, he became more emboldened to do conservative anti-woke stuff in public that he wouldn't have been emboldened to do before he had a student being like no no this is so important you should say that i know Um, i mean hey we've all we've all gone crazy for a girlfriend yeah but the article also doesn't want to be like woman blaming it like doesn't take a cultural stance on like what it wants to be and then in the end it's just about this like dinner party between the two of them um and then they invite over like three other professors who like in the wake of everything that's happened still stand by their side and they just have this like awkward dinner conversation where and i told you this specifically they're talking about how this this woman at the center of the story this 27 year old named Solvay gold that she's the future of this country and that um she's gonna one of them says she's gonna be the next nancy pelosi and another one at the table is like nancy pelosi like why would we want her to be that and another one is like no she's gonna replace nancy pelosi and i guess she'll be like the next chuck schumer or like they can't figure out (laughs) (laughs) who they are they're like they've they've heard these names one time (laughs) have no idea what they represent what they believe in totally it just felt like i guess i always had this idea of like not that people in higher education are like to be admired always but that they have rigorous ways of thinking about culture and intellectualism and politics that they wouldn't be so muddled but there was something about this article that i was like it seems like the writer doesn't really know like what (laughs) what what, what are we here all right guys what is (laughs) why did i come here and the people at the dinner i'm like what world do you guys live in like it's the writer at the dinner yeah the writer's at the dinner just doing a little slice of life describing their outfits he describes one of the professors as being in a in a natty three-piece white suit and he's like and he's he brought a 1997 bottle of whatever kind of wine you know they were doing like old-timey journalism that's like almost like a gossip column or something yeah but it was also about this political correctness culture war thing it was just really weird and it made me feel like oh my gosh no one understands reality anymore and like even the new york times certainly not the failing new york times yes not the failing new york times they have no idea where to put a flag yeah. in the sand they're just <laughs> yeah, like they're lo- they lost out at sea yeah they're lost, out at, lost sea. out at sea and it just kind of blew my mind i was like what is this so That's it's really so strange. funny yeah it's, it's it doesn't seem like there was a good story there to begin with yeah and no. then the person sat out and was like at this dinner like come on guys something's got to happen Either here. say something fucked say up something or crazy. say something that we all wish we could say, but we're scared to say. It was like, is this pro these people against these people? I mean, that's journalism is not taking a stance, but it just felt... Well, okay, she's going to be like Nancy Pelosi. That's something. <laughs> Riff on that for a little well, bit. You know, for the next, for the next three years, I, I think we're going to keep hearing about this. It's like these middle-aged men, they date someone who's like 24, 25, 26. They have to become Catholic and right-wing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, that's not. how I'm going to be young. Yeah. Just give it five years and then that that young person's going to turn socialist again and the professor's going to be like, what the fuck? Now I'm 70. I don't even know where I am. I don't even know where I, I am. And I just, I just became... I'm so scared. I just <laughs> became neo-reactionary for you. <laughs> That's the real story. Totally. That's the real story. Did the professor have children? No. I don't think. See, that's that's the red that flag right tied there. To reality. You, know? you gotta have kids. You gotta have kids, and if you don't have kids, you're gonna start dating children. Mm-hmm. That's you gotta have that's young people in your life. That's midlife crisis style. Yeah. Why don't I just nuke my whole career for? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and there were two other funny details. One was like at the beginning of the article while the wife is setting up for the dinner and she's trad, she's wearing a blue shift dress. And then the article says right before dinner, she changed into a yellow cinched waist dress and her husband smiled approvingly. 
Ooh. I read what's, what's the creepy, <laughs> and I was like, did that even really happen, or are you just like filling in? You know, I don't trust that journalism that has like all these sort of colorful details, yeah. Yeah. where it's like. You're almost you want to write fiction or something because you want to put in all these perfect little indicators. That and um, and what some. do they? What do these two dresses signify? I don't know. <laughs> and what is a shift dress? A shift dress is like a loose house dress that you would wear just like in a casual way to like do chores or something. I see. And then the yellow dress like is a like a muumu. Yeah, like a muumu. Yeah. Okay, a muumu, and then she she's and then she cinched puts on waist. a cinched waist dress. I guess he's a sh- smiling approvingly because it's time for dinner and you wear a nicer <laughs> thing. Exactly, and then um, she leads everybody in prayer before the dinner, and she just said, like says like thank you Jesus Christ for all Bro. of this. Whoa. Bro, yeah. I cannot, I could not. Which is also I just could not. a strange thing to me. I mean, yeah, and then the, there's a line about how the professor has never been interested in religion besides as like an anthropological phenomenon, but since marrying. Oh this my woman, God! See, that's the interest. real story. That's like, the real story. Yeah, so so bizarre. That's the real story. So He's bizarre. simping. The story's about a simp. Yeah, it's pathetic. Yeah. yeah, but watch, yeah, watch me get a young girlfriend. And yeah. <laughs> no, I will yeah. certainly be pathetic when I'm that age. Yeah, and then I know I've I've not told <laughs> the whole article. It's funny to think of the writer being like, um, and the knives were had a funny little <laughs> insignia on them, uh, and totally. I, my stomach hurt a little bit. <laughs> so then I went to the searching for something to talk about. So weird. Um, They also, the detail that she grew up on, I guess, at the Upper West Side and went to, like, whatever that gossip girl private school is and that she registered as a Republican when she was turned 18 or whatever just to be different. Like, she said that just to, like, be reactionary. Bro, we're lost. Everybody's lost. And that, to me, where I went to high school, that would be the cringy thing to do is, like, to do something where you're really trying to be different. Yeah. That's like cringe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's level two thinking, obviously. Right, level yeah. three is like do the thing that you like. Yes, totally. Or like, yeah, just be be like everybody else. Or, or <laughs> pretend or pretend that the thing you came up with is something you came up with truly for your own. Yes. Because of your own arrival at it. Yeah. Even though it's not true, and we yeah, never come you up can't with just things. Just be reactionary. Yeah. But you can. I guess you so. can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope that they have a long, fruitful relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was really weird. And then she's getting her PhD at Cambridge, uh, studying the history of the use of the words or like oh. of s- metaphors related to slavery. So you can imagine. She, I don't know how she's yeah, using that. Let's, let's hope she goes somewhere good with that. <laughs> I hope she goes somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Man, college is crazy. It, that's I, what it made me think. I was like, wow, college is crazier than I even remember. That like you you can just get your PhD writing some like fucked up screed, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you're a doctor yeah. and you get to research things at an institute. That you get does to research fucking, more different what. words for slaves. Yeah, <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm glad I'm not there anymore. Me too. I'm glad I'm in the salt of the earth world of, um, I don't know, podcasts and uh, totally, little videos for totally. adults. Totally. Open waters. Now, that's and, that's and a world that's connected. That's connected. Well, you can really be free. free you, you can really be free <laughs> and, you know, no, no pretensions. I was trying to communicate to Gabby recently that that smoking gun story that you told me, Sarah, about research 
where your professor was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. the smoking gun. Yeah. And then you're going to find a smaller version <laughs> of that. And your mind was just blown because the thing they had described was already so small and so, so uninteresting. So low stakes. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a great story. Yeah. I wish I could name the episode that that was in because that story really was funny. That was funny. But you're definitely, you're not going to tell it again. Can't tell it again. It's already in the canon. You're going to have to listen through the whole backlog of episodes. And luckily, they're not paywalled because we've never, we've never paywalled this podcast. So you can hear them all for free. That's right. Yeah. And we never will. I don't think that we will. I don't think. Sometimes I think, should we? But I I don't think so. To make a couple bucks, you know, and take that away from the world. Yeah. Um, no, we don't need it. You know what I was thinking? If the if, tell me. if the new, if the U- United States mint printed or minted uh, a, like a one billion dollar bill, and one guy had it, a guy who has a billion dollar, he could do monetary policy simply by uh, by ripping it in half. He could like send us into a deflation or inflationary spiral simply by ripping the billion dollar bill in half. Isn't that interesting? Mm. But you can tape a bill back together and use it at certain bodegas. It's true at the bodega, they will take it. <laughs> <laughs> so. ah, you're right about that. That's funny. Yeah, so. but if he like ripped it up so you couldn't tape it, ah, then he's doing monetary policy. Send us into an inflationary spiral. <laughs> Isn't that kind of interesting? And that that this is what kept you up last night. <coughs> well, I was reading that. Um, I I read a, a tweet that in Argentina during a soccer game. I I wait. There's a soccer team called. Let me see. Um, uh, There was a soccer team between an Argentine team and a team from another country, which is from... Oh, it's a Brazilian team. So there was a, a soccer team, a soccer game between a Brazilian team and an Argentine team. And the fans of the Brazilian team, as a way of taunting the Argentine team, they had 100, no, 1,000 peso bills and would rip them apart. Isn't that... Abs- an absolutely based roast. Wow, because they're like your money's like fucking. Your money's f- shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was a yeah. That's cor- based. Corinthians. It's called Corin- Corinthians. Honestly, we could do that with our twenty dollar bills now. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. So, Simple Town's going to Chicago. Oh, that's right. Uh, if you, I don't think anyone in Chicago listens to okay. this, but, but if you know uh, Chicago, you tell them to go. Yeah, we're trying to sell it out and we've sold a very modest amount of tickets. No, actually tickets are running out fast and you're going to want to <laughs> get them. You're going to want to get That's them right. before they sell out. Cause there's really only a you're few You're performing, performing at the hideout. Everyone's always talking about the legendary Chicago hideout. That's right. The beloved theater. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so if you're in Chicago or if you know someone in Chicago, you're going to want to come to the show on Friday, uh, J- July 8th. Thank you, Annabelle, for telling your friend. Thank you. Great. Everyone should who's in New York should find one person in Chicago to kind of represent them or, you know, sort of replace them at the show. Right. Yeah. Yes. That would be that would equal 12 million people. That's right. And, <laughs> and we're having and we're having opener Maggie Winters. There you go. Um, She's a poet, right? I don't know very much <laughs> about her. I, it's Caroline was who suggested Where, that we have a poem her on. named Maggie Winters. Oh, kind of famous. We're yeah. getting Sharon Olds to read her poems. <laughs> we're having we're having Maggie Nelson on yeah. the show to read the Argonauts. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. that's pretty funny. <laughs> that would right? be funny. That would yeah. be funny. Um, cool. So yeah, so so come if you're in Chicago this Friday. 
and would you have something to plug and then the, you want to talk about the bunker cartoon being out don't no <laughs> just watch out. it it's we'll honestly see it for yourself honestly one of the most interesting things simple town has ever made and i won't even tell you how to find it or what it's called just go look for it you'll find it <laughs> just go look for it yeah um i don't want to plug anything besides just reminding everyone to have a great summer but we're not um, done we got five more minutes oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What's up? I mean, we could call it, no, but no. I'm like, why not use the last five more minutes? What do you think, Sam? My, I, I feel sicker and sicker Aww. every moment that I don't eat. But, but we didn't get go eat, go eat. Me and Sarah are gonna we'll talk riff. about Be Real, the Be Real app. Oh, I just got it yesterday. Explain it. What, what do you mean? You it? don't have it? I don't have it. What is it? I'm like, anytime an app appears and everybody's using it, I'm thinking... You gotta get it. No, no, I'm thinking a different <laughs> you thing. You gotta get it. I'm thinking, what kind of dark money has made it so that this is now suddenly in my life? Yeah. What kind of evil... Who would ever... Because I would never download a new app. No. But suddenly all my friends it. have it, and I'm like, who convinced you? And I need yeah. to ask who convinced everyone and go down the rabbit hole to find out patient zero. It's a good idea for a documentary. App. Yeah. P- who... Because at first I thought it was a feature on Instagram, but now I'm seeing it's its own it's app. Its own and all app. my friends have this new app. That's right. How did that How even did that take off? Go off in the chat if you're on Be Real. Yeah. Or if you'll never, you swear you'll never get it. I, I got on it, but the truth is I don't really want... Explain what it is. What does it do? You don't know what I it is? I don't have it. I know what it is. but The idea is it just... Um, in, it, it tells you, hey, you got to post a picture now. Like, it has a time... The idea is that on Instagram, we're constantly posting pictures to manicure our lives so that they look great. But this app tells you this is the time you have to post it. And the idea is you can't help but be real. You're going to show people where you are at any given moment. You don't have time to manicure your life. Yeah. Uh, However, what's what's the, the, the catch? The catch is that if you don't want, you don't have to post the be real. Of and course. if you want, you can post a late be real. And then your be real, your picture will be marked wow. as posted wow. late. Wow. I don't like when they won't be brave enough to go all the way because they're scared because they want people to like the app. Right. What the app should do is just open up your your camera and just and take, take a photo wherever you, you no are. Control. <laughs> no choice. No control. Three, two, one. It's gone. It. It's yeah. in your pocket. It's and in it's online. Post it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Take it all the way. Don't that's do it That's what half. the app should do. Yeah. Um, that's funny. But instead it gives you the option. Yeah. And, um, I was telling you that I had this I, this thought about the be real thing that like uh, every I know I'll speak for myself personally, but I'll also project onto everyone that I know. Everybody has this sort of like addiction to social media where you do feel like your life is a movie and you want to share it pretty compulsively and it's right. constantly occurring to you to be like, should I take a picture of this? This is cool. What about this? Um, but everyone also is always in like a neurotic spiral around like overposting or seeming like to need other people to like see your life to validate it and what that says about you and sort of the moral implications of choosing to post uh, and overshare. But the be real kind of takes the choice out of it. If you really follow it, it's just telling you post, post, post. Then you don't have to feel self-conscious about Oh, of course, I went on this nice vacation and I took these photographs and now I'm going to share them. It's like, no, but the app, it was just be real. It was the app was asking me to post. And I was riding, swimming with dolphins. And I want to be real. Yeah. (laughs) I want to be real. And And even the boring stuff. People want to share their boring life, too. Imagine, man, a a semiologist could go to town on that name, right? Because we get what it means on level one, be real. Be real, show your life. But like, don't we all feel like we're not real? Doesn't the internet make us feel unreal? We are derealized from our world. And the be real 
slap, it gives you a promise. You will become real, like Pinocchio, yeah. going from wood into little boy. You will become real if you mm-hmm. use this app. You will see colors and smell things and be connected we to the people around you. We gotta get a semiologist on here. A semiologist go would town. go to town on yeah. this name. Yeah. What if we could be real? <laughs> Man, I love that. I haven't felt real in a semiologist. Yeah. Oh. A yeah. panel of semiologists. Competing opinions about yeah, like what twelve it means. or thirteen. They will go crazy. They will go ham on this name. Yeah, it is funny. I do feel like Annabelle is saying, "I love scrolling and seeing my friends in their desks." It is nice to sometimes have some kind of acknowledgement that other people's lives have a lot of boring moments in them, like your own. But well, we should also just be able to remember that <laughs> because that's reality. Yeah, I so mean, it's hard. the be reels I've seen so far are kind of lit. Like people are doing kind of nice stuff. So I'm oh like, shit, bro, come on. Oh shit, well that's fucked. They're that's like exciting. snowboarding and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let, let me look at the be reels. Yeah, people are looking yeah. good. I knew, I've said this before. We've all said this before, but people's jobs are an absolute mystery to me. Yeah, and everyone goes off and spends hours and hours doing things. I have no idea what they're doing. You know? Yeah, totally. Work is completely opaque in your to your friends. Like, you don't. I have no idea what my friends do really all day. No, and I'd like yeah. to keep tabs on them. Me too. I'd like to totally. know. God. In Gabby's friend group, everyone shares their locations with each other. Do you think we should start doing that? Huh. <laughs> it would be helpful. I think the thing that that would most reveal is like when people are hooking up with other people. You'd be like, wow. Oh, yeah. Huh. They said that they were kind of like done on that, but I That's guess. That's literally like in <laughs> Harry Potter when you have the Marauder's Map and you can yeah. see everyone in yeah. the school walking yeah. around. Huh, I guess Felipe and Sam have been hooking up together all day. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, that would be good. Speaking of that semiologist thing, it reminds me of uh, I was listening to like an NPR podcast. I've been, like I said, I've been kind of depressed. I've been trying to cure my depression by indulging in things, media, pieces of culture that I don't think are particularly like. I'll frame it this way. Sometimes you get depressed and you're like, fuck, and I'm not reading or watching things anymore and I'm behind on all these references and I need to like know what's going on in the culture. Maybe that'll totally make me happy. That'll make me Maybe happy. Maybe if I knew the names of random people. Yes. But then I think that actually just kind of stresses me out and it's like sometimes you just have to indulge in consuming things that you're like, I just want to watch this TV show though even though this isn't going to like feed anything in me or be cool or so you feel like you're in the in the so trash I've been listening to some npr podcasts which i think is like a cringy medium you're going back to basics yes i think it's a little back to basics like there's nothing there for me um but there's something pleasurable about just putting on they're so perfectly curated and made to be like stimulating and like intellectual but also like kind of funny and i like, have cute stories and you know they're just like this perfect little bite wasn't it funny like that the, that stuff. the like this american life uh invisibilia what was it yes. snap judgment at the same time as TED Talks. Yes. And it was an early yes. moment on the yes. internet where we were like, whoa, this podcast is bringing me mind-blowing realizations. Totally. This Pop TED, psychology, This TED Talk is bringing me mind... Each TED Talk opens up my mind. And could you imagine yes. at that moment being like, okay, we got... 10 more years of you got to keep up this yes, level of mind yes, blowingness yes, and every yes. episode is going to blow your yes. mind life hacks yeah life hacks <laughs> just shit that's like and every it's yeah. like i didn't even know that my life i thought it was a cube where you could open like six sides but now i find out it's like it's like a million sided die and yeah. you can just open up every side and each new thing is going to fucking yeah. blow my mind totally and it connects art and politics and the deep sea and a personal story from yeah 50 years ago <laughs> that someone discovered in a letter in an old suitcase like <laughs> it's all like Worlds connected. 
Yeah, I feel like that is all related in my mind to just like people wanting to advertise themselves as storytellers. You know, wanting True. to be like, but at the core, I am a storyteller. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's all one. Do you feel same. like you are getting mind blowing realizations, or do you feel like it's like, ah, oh, this doesn't it's hit the way it like, used to? It's something sort of. No, I don't feel like I'm getting any mind blowing realizations. There are always like interesting information. You know, like I was telling you about. Uh, Invisibilia did a season on friendship. Invisibilia is about the invisible forces that shape us, um, and ev- they do a different theme mm, every season. Marxist dialectical materialism. <laughs> I, ho- yeah. I hope that's what every episode is. <laughs> they did a season on friendship, and they did an episode about nuns and how nuns aren't allowed to be particular friends with anybody because that's sort of it's almost like having sex. It's kind of in the same category. It's like you're not supposed to fall in love and have sex. You're not supposed to have a best friend, even if it's another nun. Um, really? Yes. And you're supposed to do this thing called mortify yourself. That's the way they use for it where like if there's someone that you feel an aversion to you need to try even harder to be around them that's your fucking best friend you need to hang out with that person um and so they talk about that so it's interesting like they that ultimately do ass. find that sounds yeah ass. it sounds like a terrible and we terrible were just saying if if a nun was hanging out around you and be like hey what's up bestie you yeah. know she hates your guts <laughs> You know she thinks you suck. <laughs> she thinks you suck. <laughs> she thinks you suck. Yeah. Or she's trying to get you to do sin, and then you're gonna get kicked out. So you gotta be fucking watch your. Back it's true. It's like the. It's like the. Um. You know when it's like the two guards, one always tells lies. It's like if someone's hanging out around you, you know it's not good. Yes. Either they hate you, or they're trying to make you break the rules. Yes. It's never good. Yes. Yes. So. And then the and then the girl that's not around you, you're like, oh man, man, we would hit it off. Yeah, that's my homie, but we can never. I can't. And that too, it's like, okay, you're gonna dedicate your life to God. One of the most, you know, like, and and boring you're not things to do. Well, <laughs> I was gonna say like, it's why powerful. make it so boring? Why not? Why not let you have all of all of God, God's beautiful gifts like friendship and sex? I why know. deny it those confusing. things? I don't, I don't understand know. Christianity. Why did God make us give us life? Yeah. If he's like, well, the people, because you'd think actually nuns will get to have the most fun and go to Six Flags all the time. Because like, well, <laughs> you guys are doing the most important thing, which is sanctifying God. Instead, it's like, no, your life is gonna suck the most shit out of totally. everybody. Don't talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. It sucks. So this is all to say, though, because I made me think of it because you're talking about I'm getting a what do you call it a semi semiotics person on here. Uh-huh. Um, there was an episode about ghosting friends and friends ghosting each other, and they did this intro about like ghosting. Why do we call it ghosting? Let's think about ghost stories. Let's have on a philosophy expert and storyteller <laughs> to give us the history of the ghost story and what purpose those serve in our culture. So maybe we can better understand why our friends ghost uh, us. And it was just like such a long road to nowhere to like have this person <laughs> on and interview them about the history of ghost stories. And it just seems so stupid to me. Like they must open up so many boxes researching those episodes and so many have just like fucking nothing in them. You just get a boring guy on like telling you shit you already know that like... Ghost stories were to make sure people knew to be afraid of going in the woods at night. A legion of unpaid college interns <laughs> researching day in and day out I like what other boxes they could I open yeah, for the story. I like the idea, though, that they are in the episode searching around for meaning and then they get the ghost story guy to tell it and then he tells his whole explanation of what ghost stories are and then the host is like, okay, well, that didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> Let's try a new angle on this, yeah. but they leave it in the episode. <laughs> totally, totally. That's funny. That was yeah. uh, a dead end. <laughs> well, we tried it out. Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> All right. Well, now we've done. Uh, now we've done the, the hour and a half. Yeah. Okay. So Let's release com- ourselves from this prison. Come to <laughs> chi- come to a show in Chicago. What else? 
Um, have a great Wednesday. Be good to each other, guys, and vote. Don't forget to vote. Vote, 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 vote. Voting's over, right? Huh? Isn't it over? Just in general. Just have oh, a kind of yeah. a voting lifestyle. Yes. Just be voting, voting at all times. Any, th- any chance you get to vote, vote. vote. All right. Bye, guys. Raisin Man Arena.